Welcome to CPP Chat. Uh, we have, a, I think, is going to be an exciting uh, episode today. We're going to explore uh, a talk that won both most educational and most inspiring at uh, C++ Now. We have the speaker with us uh, for this episode, and so we're going to be exploring that. First, though, I need to uh, read our disclaimer, which is that this podcast and files transmitted with it are confidential and intended for the use of the individual or entity to whom they are addressed. If you have received this message in error, please notify the system manager. This message contains confidential information and is intended only for the individual named. If you are not the named addressee, you should not disseminate, distribute, or copy this message. So um, we're going to start out. I'm going to uh, introduce uh, our producer, Phil Nash who's pulled together this uh, really exciting topic, I think. Um, welcome, Phil. Hello again. Yeah, I uh, first came to hear about this at um, a meeting of C++ London a few months ago, because uh, uh, Gashba, who's going to be on, uh, comes to, to the meetup regularly, and he was quite excited about this idea that uh, he'd been um, talking about. Um, he was talking to me after the meeting, and he was trying to explain it to me, and the penny was starting to drop, but I hadn't quite got it by the end of the conversation. Um, it was only a bit later that I really realised the implications of it. So I was really pleased to to see uh, Gashba give a talk on it at uh, C++ Now a couple of weeks ago. So I thought it would be a great idea to to get him on, as well as, uh, as Ben, who uh, co-authored the paper, to talk about it a bit more. Some of the videos of the talks are up yet, but this one's is not. So, and I think this actually happened a little late in the conference, so it'll be a while before that talks up. But in the meantime, uh, we will talk about it on this show. Actually, I think the genesis of this started with a talk that Ben gave quite a while back. So I'm going to ask Ben to start uh, start us off talking about what it was you were trying to accomplish and where all this came from. Yeah, uh, actually, it was a, uh, a thing I was working on a few years ago. Uh, I was trying to write a futures library. And uh, I, I was annoyed because I was using lambdas to carry values through the chain of futures. And I was sort of getting annoyed that um, at the point of call of a lambda, it was not possible to know whether the closure object was an L value or an R value. And so I didn't, I couldn't move an object fully. I didn't know whether I could move, could, it was safe to move the object from the lambda. And so I couldn't achieve the ultimate performance that I wanted to achieve. Uh, so that was where the sort of the problem came from uh, around, like I say, around three years ago, maybe four years ago now. Um, so I'd had this problem on my mind for a few a few years. And then at CPPCon last uh, September in Bellevue, Gasper and I got to talking about it. And Gasper came up, uh, and I, we were talking with uh, Louis Dion as well at the time. And uh, yeah, Gasper uh, came up with this idea for solving the problem. And uh, that's that's where the paper came from. All right. You want to take it from there, Gasper? Yeah. So I, I vividly remember this, um, this, this part of the day. It was like after, like before the evening sessions, but after the, the main sessions of the day, we were all hungry and the light was going and it was all like super bleak before the lights turn on in the maiden bower. Um, and and everything was looking like doom and gloom and Ben came up with this problem and we're like, No, we, we need to we need to get some dinner and talk about this. And then before we ever came out of the maiden bower, um I was like, I know, let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. Like we know that lambdas get there at this pointer. Let let let's just give it a name and that'll solve like everything. Um and we started talking about it more over dinner, and well, uh, now you can see the paper <laughs> because because what what came out was like when we started thinking about it, it was like, oh wait, but we can do this with it, and oh, and that falls out, and then like maybe a few months later, we introduce it to Chandler at at, at a committee meeting, and he's like. That solves curiously recurring template pattern, and we're like, it does. Oh yeah, it does. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, so yeah, that's sort of how it went. It kind of like started small and just 
steamrolled from there. So there's this one of the things that I learned by using another language, which was Python in this case, Python has this philosophy that things should not be implicit. Things should be explicit. And so Python doesn't have an implicit at this point. They call it self, but it's just explicit. It's just another parameter. And it, it's kind of interesting that, that this little decision to make the, this parameter implicit rather than explicit has kind of, there's, there's a whole bunch of different things that your paper is hinting at. And even, you know, we haven't even talked yet about the papers you haven't written that are based on this, but you've already been talking a little bit about it. This one change seems to affect all these different things. And it's all based on the fact that we've had this implicit this pointer and have tried to, we, we couldn't actually make a statement about what the this pointer is because it was implied and there was no way to reach it. Yeah. We, we should probably say that this is P0847. And, uh, for, the, for those that want to look it up. And, uh, it, yeah, the Gashba and I started talking about it, and then it turned out that uh, Simon Brand, who was on CP Chat last week, and Barry Revzin were independently working on a, a basically the same idea. So we all joined forces for this paper. Right. So how would you explain it in the fewest number of words, Gasper? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh... I, I can explain it in a long way. You didn't give me enough time to explain it shortly. <laughs> um, but I guess if I had to, um, if you call this self, you can give it a name, you can give it a type, you can make it a template parameter, and that means it follows all the rules for parameters, and that's it. I mean, it's a really small change to the language that has really enormous consequences. Right. The proposal is t totally optional, and it's to simply, when you're writing a member function, the, si the simplest way to put it is, if you're writing a member function, you can optionally call out the, the implicit this parameter as an explicit parameter with everything that that implies. As usual, Ben is way better at putting things shortly than I am. <laughs> and and the and the fact is that there's a number of different situations where that makes a difference. We were talking about the uh, lambda, but there's just a number of different situations where the being able to paint the, this parameter with whatever decoration we want allows us to express this is the function that we want to express. Well, yes. Um, I mean the the idea really is that. Uh, if you can call something by a name, it definitely smells twice as good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, to go back to the Lambda example, I mean, in trying to figure out whether the Lambda's closure object was R value or L value, I obviously, I, I thought about, you know, for member functions, we have reference qualifiers that can go on the end. So we have, you know, a, a way to do this kind of for member functions already. But when you actually sort of exercise that right for member functions, you end up writing a lot of code copy-paste style because you end up, say, writing getters, or a prime example, where you want to, to, to get a sub-object with the same value category as your, as your this. You end up triplicating, quadruplicating in some cases, the, the getter function. And it, it would be easier to write it once and to just deduce the type of this. It's kind of difficult to talk about this paper without, you know, showing the syntax that gets just massively shorter. Um, but, you know, like, I'm sure that you've had to write at least the constant, non-const version of methods all the time. And with C++11, we got uh, our values, and that means that really most of the time you should be writing four overloads, the refref one and the const refref one even though people don't even know about the const ref ref one. Uh, and so you actually would get all this for free if we had this. So how do we get this for free? What, what, was, what is different? What do, what, what do I do as a user once this is involved? Th this paper passes, now what do I do? How's my life changed? All right, so let's say you're writing any kind of data structure that offers access to members, which 
every data structure realistically should, since it's a data structure. Um, all of your accessors only need one template overload and not, you know, four non-templates. Um, so, so if I'm writing, if I'm writing vector, then I need to be able to write both the const and the non-const accessors uh, to members or to not members, but to elements, ref, to elements. And the ref ref and the const ref ref, and that same goes for front, for back, and for at. And for data. So, and for data. Now, uh, data is a little different. I honestly don't think you should be handing out data when you don't have an L value. Like, that would be really weird. Mm. But, yeah, there are lots of accesses in, in, in many containers that fit this pattern. And, and in regular structs, too. But you might write it just in non-library code. Yeah, not not many people know this, but you get all of this for free when you write a struct with no accessors, right? All of the member accessors get all of these qualifiers for free. So to answer John's question concretely, instead of writing, you know, some getter uh, with a const ref version, a, a ref ref version, and 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 the other and and a l value uh, mutable ref version, etc., uh, what you do is write the getter once. And, and give it, uh, give it a explicit this explicit uh, parameter which you name, and and you mark with the keyword this, which is the first parameter of the getter. Right, and then that is a template, um, a write forwarding template reference template type name T. My getter, this T ref ref self or any other identifier, and then all the other parameters, if you have any. Uh, and then you can stud forward on T, right? Because you have it, and you have self, and you can decal type on self, and you know exactly which value category you are. Yeah. The function you write looks exactly like it, it's a template. It's a function template with a forwarding reference, basically a deduced reference. So what other... Okay, so that's nice. Saves me some boilerplate. Um, what other things can we do with this? Uh, one of the things that we were talking about, we had a user group meeting last night and Arthur was talking about how it changes, um, CRTP into just CRP. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's not even a recurring pattern at, anymore. It's just, a yeah, write this. Okay. So explain this. All right. So the way it works, right, if you think about normal template parameters, forget this weird one that we're introducing. Um, when, when you have a template and you have, you know, type A that inherits from B, B being base and A is your, you know, fancy derived type. Um, if you call foo, which is a template, on A, you're going to get foo uh, that's templated on A, and if you call foo of B, you're going to get a foo that's templated on B. These are two different functions, right? So basically, we, in normal functions, this gets deduced to the statically derived type of whatever you're calling it on. Uh, same goes for deduce this. So if you have a method on the base class, and you call it from the derived class, the template rules as they're written now make that deduce to the statically derived type of whatever you're calling it on, which is, you know, A in this case. So that basically allows the method to get the statically derived type, like the most derived type, uh, inside the body by just looking at what the template parameter deduced to. And so you don't need CRTP to tell you that. And not even that, like you don't need weird static cast that you have to explain to everybody anymore because self is of the correct type. It's a reference to A uh, and not to the base class. However, because we also didn't want to change what uh, the this pointer points to, because that would be weird also, like we didn't want to write any new rules effectively, this still points is a pointer and points to the base class because this is a method of the base class. So if you want the base class as members, just 
write this or don't write anything because if you don't write anything and you just use the name, it'll be you know implicitly, implicitly looked up this. through this. If, however, the derived class has a member of the same name that shadows the one in the base class, you can just say self dot that member and you'll get it. Uh, so you have access to both, and it just magically works by today's rules. Right. We're assuming that. So, so when Gaspar says self dot member, conventionally we've been calling the the implicit this pointer self. That's just the name we've been giving to it. It doesn't have to be self, but that's a conventional name. But it can't be this because that's a keyword. That's a keyword. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have to when you when you're declaring your this object or this pointer, you have to give it a name other than this. This is still in the syntax to simply tell the compiler, by the way, the object that I'm naming here is the, this pointer that you're that, that we would have in this situation. I mean, technically, you don't have to give it a name if you just care about the type, because we all know that you can omit the identifier from a parameter, right? Um, so technically, you don't have to call it anything. I don't know why you would do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd get the right... The, the Lambda case is a case where you might want the... I think where you have a... You might want the type, but not necessarily want to name it. I'm not sure. Yeah, but you can't get it, right? In the Lambda, you you don't have the luxury of of naming that type. Oh, no, wait. We do now. We We have, like, explicit template Lambdas, right? You can actually name that thing now. What do you mean now? Are you saying with your proposal, or are you saying no, no, no. That we like have that in seventeen? Twenty. There's, there's or a twenty. There, I, it, I mean, obviously, is that accepted in? Yet. What is that accepted in? I have, is anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, as well as wondering, so to, we don't necessarily have it. It was in Mateusz's talk that was just in Aspen that is recently up on. On YouTube now, he gave a talk C plus plus seventeen or beyond C plus plus seventeen, where he did mention that paper. So I believe now now you've got me wondering whether it's in because he covered some things that were in and some things that weren't quite. But I think it's favorable. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to really omit it, right? All right, what other uses do we have for it? Um, we should say that the plan is that you have a paper that. Uh, that that is being submitted now for Apperswell. and but you've got four other papers that you plan to write that aren't written yet that are based on building on this uh, this proposal. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Though um, I think that we should uh, stop on one other use that we already propose with this proposal before we okay. go on to further papers. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, that this solves recursive lambdas. Um, because currently a lambda can't call itself unless you go through std function or some other trick like that. Um, but because in this case, you would get like this auto self as the first parameter to a lambda, you have a way to name the lambda from inside the lambda. It's called self. Um, so you can call yourself and suddenly you have recursive lambdas. Uh, and that just not, that's not just good for recursion. That's also good for, let's say you registered a lambda as a callback and well, you get called and then you figure out that whatever you were being called for hasn't actually happened yet. And you were called spuriously and you need to re-register yourself as the callback. Now you can do that. Um, and you can just literally move yourself back into the into the framework. You don't even have to copy the Lambda, right? Because you know that you're never going to be called anymore, perhaps. Right. So you can write these kind of asynchronous kind of tail recursive function chains where the Lambda just says, call me back next time. This, by the way, is also a thing that solves my original problem, the ability to do decal type of self from inside the Lambda body and figure out what the value category of the closure object is. Which was the solution, which is what you were trying to solve initially. Right. Exactly. Now that's, lambdas are, uh, 
a little bit odd in the standard in that so so there are very restricted things you're allowed to do given that you have a name for the closure object uh you can't you can't do what you would naively think you could do with a this pointer which is to 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 access members of the closure object uh with that syntax at least because or or take the address of them or anything like that because the standard doesn't give the closure object any kind of defined layout so so there are restrictions on what you can do with that inside a lambda that that are slightly different from member functions uh but but basically it 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 does exactly what you would you would think it would do in the cases that you can you are allowed to do things it looks like Barry one of your co-authors is in the uh, chat room yeah i'm uh, sorry people have intelligent questions uh for instance uh defray says whether the shorter syntax was considered and i i got to answer that it's actually not the syntax that he's proposing it you can um Oh yeah, he, that's for methods. I I actually don't think that. Okay, so let let me let me summarize what he's saying. Uh, he's saying that instead of writing this weird new thing thing that we're proposing uh, to write just auto foo this ref ref, um, and and have the method uh instead of writing template blah 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 auto foo and i have to say that we have considered this syntax it doesn't give you half the things that we want and also it's a special case as opposed to just fitting in with the rest of the system like it's a surprising syntax also it doesn't quite communicate that what you wrote is a template, and that's a big no-no for some parts of the committee. That that's my entire answer. Yeah. What about these things? Um, I forget what they're calling them now, where you combine a load of lambdas together as an overload set using inheritance. Would you be able to oh, call from yeah. one overload to another? I like that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> So Before with the proposed overload, wait, is it in 17 or is it that a 20 feature? Yeah. So with std overload, uh, you can already combine a bunch of lambdas and functions into an overload set. That's that's not the new bit, right? The new bit is that when you combine this with lambdas effectively having a way to refer to themselves with this auto self parameters. Okay. Hang on a second. Step back a second. How do you do that? How do I make several lambdas an overload set? Um, okay, so you write auto my overload set equals std overload open parens. It's a function, right? And then you just list all your lambdas and then close parens and semicolon. And what that does is it creates a an overload object that just inherits from all of the lambdas that you gave it it's a type you can't really name which is why you had to specify auto my overload set equals in the beginning um but because <laughs> of Voldemort's type um <laughs> yeah um yes so Right, so yeah, so once, once you have that, you in... can call it with any one of the the call operators that it's inherited from, right? Uh, so that's why you've effectively packaged up an overload set into a, an anonymous object, if it were. And that's some new thing? Is that 17, or is that... I think it's 20. I think 20. Right, because 17 introduced variadic using, which gives the ability to bring all of the operator paren methods into the over into the derived object with a with a very simple syntax I, and i so i think that was the thing that really unlocked so i know vittorio romeo did a talk on this and and it can be done in c++14 in 17 it gets a lot easier to implement because of the variadic using uh, in particular okay so i just interrupted you about this now okay now we understand how you do just a standard uh, overload set of lambdas. Now, what was 
what is it that we're going to do with that? You want to take this one, Ben? Uh, let's see. When are you? you, you <laughs> <laughs> it was your story. <laughs> um, all right. So, so I, I guess I'll take that one. Um, so the way it works is when a lambda knows how to refer to its own object by this auto self as the first parameter, if you think about it, std overload inherits from all of these things, right? So when you call the std overload, what does self refer to? Well, it refers to the most derived type, right? Which is std overload. So that means you can not only recursively call yourself, you can recursively call the std overload, which is any one of the lambdas that are in your overload set, effectively. Uh, so now you've got self-recursive overload sets, um, which for certain types of things are very, very useful. And, uh, and the certain types of things, I mean uh, using them, for instance, with std visit on recursively defined um, uh, variants, which is how you make trees, right? So if you wanted to visit every part of the tree, you need to recursively call yourself, but with the node type that is, you know, dynamically determined by std visit. So you need to really like pass self as in the full overload set back to std visit to recursively call yourself. And you can do that without using std function tricks like you had to, like you have to today which is way faster, right? Right. So you have one lambda that deals with the case where you're a branch, one lambda that deals with the case where you're a leaf. You package them or up in an overload. Or one of the several types of branches that you sure, have. Sure, sure. But let, let's... A simple example would be one lambda that deals with the branch, one lambda that deals with the leaf. Each of those lambdas can reference uh, the, the templated this or self object, and that is the whole overload set. So the lambdas get to sort of know how to call each other through calling the top-level overload. Or Michael's suggesting you could just give it a name to type. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you're spoiling our fun here. Yeah, I was going to say, this all sounds very futuristic, but we've been able to do this since C++03 or earlier, <laughs> just by writing your own class with an overloaded um, parentheses operator. That is true. <laughs> that was fun, though. <laughs> now you're spoiling all the fun. <laughs> well, the thing is, okay, no, no, no. Someone's so th got to. That's not, that's not actually true, because sometimes you want to do that with the local state of a function, and that means you've got to write lambdas. You can't write named types inside functions yet. I mean, at least not ones that would be useful. You, you can sort of kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing the other question that i had um winding right back you said at the beginning that you get all this for free with your proposal but there is a cost in that now you've got to make uh, a lot of things that maybe previously didn't have to be templates and didn't have to be visible in a header file for example into templates uh, just to be able to take advantage of the um uh, the different deductions so there is a there is a cost in terms of often compile times. Yeah, that I would say that there's a cost to misusing lots of things in C plus plus. But back to the like one of the original use cases is writing getters, right? And right now they are typically inlined in headers because you know you want them inlined, um, and you want to give the compiler that hint. So so it's using the compiler through a template mechanism to write the functions and you don't have to write them. I'm going to say modules is going to solve that. <laughs> <laughs> modules will solve everything. That's why it's taking so long. <laughs> well, they got to front load all that compile time. Maybe. Yeah, but I think your point, Ben, is that actually most of the time it won't matter because they were always going to be in line anyway. I, th I think a lot of the use cases will 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 improve, will reduce the amount of code you have to write, and and actually won't oh, yeah. make any difference to header size. Yes, I mean to your point, we can always put everything in headers, 
and abuse the compile times. <laughs> My favorite bit about making them templates is actually that we have a widget to make all those getters correct, and it's called std forward, right? Uh, and if, like right now, I have to manually inspect all of the return types, all of the annotations, and convince myself that it's actually correct because testing that is also really error prone because if you've copy pasted the methods, you're also going to copy paste the tests. And making sure that all of those things are modified by hand exactly correctly and that that stays the way it's supposed to is kind of difficult. Um, and here we've got an automated widget that everybody already knows how to use that just magically make your getters correct. Right. Uh, did you actually, Gasper? Did you want to mention forward like along those oh, lines? Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a bit of a paper that is not in this paper because proposing language features and library features together does not seem to be a good idea. Um, because of this difference of deducing to the statically derived type instead of you know the the base class, uh, you actually need a, a slightly different forward, which we call forward-like, that copies the qualifiers but not the type. Um, you can use that forward, and in that case, it will always be correct, but it might fail to compile in cases where you weren't thinking ahead. So basically, you're safe. You just might get a lot more for free if you're if you uh, use forward like. Uh, there's also another uh, extension that was proposed by Elisdair Meredith uh, that marking uh, the this parameter as explicit would always deduce to the type that's the base class. So that that would be less surprising. It does break the current template deduction rules, which is why it's you know a separate keyword and stuff like that. Uh, we still need to think about that a lot more, but in that right. case, the forward would just always work. One of the things we tried to do with this paper was actually change as little as possible, ideally nothing, about the way the language deals with templates, deduction, all that stuff. So this paper, in a sense, is just a very targeted syntactic change that's opt-in. Uh, and we we don't want to really mess with the way that all those deduction and lookup rules work because people know those and ideally everything would work the way people would expect except just if you add this thing here's what you can here's here's what you would expect well thank you very much for not complicating those rules because um, <laughs> right and that extends to things like uh if if you write one of these and you write uh effectively if you write the template and then you write the same function that the template would produce, what does that mean? Well, it probably means that you've written the same function twice and the compiler should tell you, I've got a duplicate of that function and that's just a, a link error or whatever it might be. Um, Is that right, Gashba? Is that where we landed? Sorry, you're going to have to repeat that because I was reading the chat. What was the answer to the <laughs> question of if you, if you, let's say you write a, a a getter, a getter template in this style of the paper, and then you write another old style explicit getter explicitly value qualified. Oh no, uh, that's not a linker error. I mean, in in the worst case, it's a linker error because you've written those in two compilation units, but you can't actually do that because you're writing these as a methods of a class. So the Compil current the compiler should know you've done it. Yeah, no, no, I mean the the, the current. The current way the compiler deals with this is it tells you you've declared the same method twice, and it refuses to compile, not link. Um, All right. I mean, it is literally the same thing. Like, you can copy and paste the method right now and see what the compiler says, and it'll tell you you've already defined this. Stop doing things. Go home. You're drunk. <laughs> right, right. So that's another example of where we're not trying to change anything. Just, just whatever the compiler does now, the way it interprets these things now, is the way we 
intend this well, paper it, to interpret things. Ex- except that uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding exactly what you're saying, but if you were to write, let's say I write the copy constructor for a uh, for a type, but that I also write a template constructor that could take anything that that is essentially writing the copy constructor again but because it's a template the compiler is not going to detect that it's just going to pick the real copy constructor over the template copy constructor and so it's so it's not going to detect that that's actually a a redeclaration because it's not again the behavior is exactly the same as now. Right. Although we don't actually allow you to uh, have constructors with an explicit this because it makes well, yeah. very little sense. But, the well, special I mean, member functions, yeah, I don't think we we want to mess but with you, those. Instead of saying constructor, it could have been the uh, copy assignment or something like that. I mean, it's the same. The principle is the same, which is that the compiler doesn't see... Um, doesn't see a template and a non-template as a as the declaration of the same thing, even though they could be just the same thing, because it's just going to prefer the non-template version when it actually tries. Yes, to. John. In in uh, in accordance with your previous statement of not complicating things, we definitely didn't want to overcomplicate the functioning lookup rule. That's right. That's exactly yeah yeah because those are already complicated enough. Uh, yes, Th- this paper changes nothing. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the other papers then. The future papers to be written. What is it you want to accomplish in in your when, once you've got this nose in the door with this proposal? Right. So, I, let me preface this with: if we don't get any of the of the subsequent papers, I will totally be happy. I I just don't want to repeat myself. However, even in the talk that I gave at C++ Now about this, people were already jumping 40 slides ahead in anticipation <laughs> of this. So it's kind of obvious where this leads. Um, so we we obviously also thought about where this leads. And I mean, if you're writing a paper, you should probably explore where it leads like two or three steps ahead. Otherwise, you haven't done your homework, right? Um, so we did that. And um, let, let me start with the, I guess, the most useful one, um, or like the obvious one, which is by value parameters. Uh, like we can pass most things by value in C++. Why not self? Um, <laughs> it, it turns out that that's a really interesting proposition. Uh, it solves a bunch of problems where you can't pass an overload set, but you still want value semantics for methods. Um, it's, it solves effectively the builder pattern for it to be type safe, because instead of basically constructing on assignment, you can construct every time and just move construct yourself into the you know, the parameter, and if you drop your type on the floor because of an exception, it's all fine. Um, and your type safe all the way. Because you just made a copy. Well, or you moved because basically when you have a builder pattern, right, you're chaining with dot, 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 and all of these things are returned by value, which means there are values, which means they move construct into the parameter of the next dot call and so on. So the compiler is very free to optimize those away because it knows you've never taken the address of them and so on. Like, uh, and with today's, um, uh, I mean, I'm not entirely sure if you could write some rules for this to effectively be RVO'd because you currently can't RVO parameters, but in this case, it's kind of special, so you might be able to because you you know you're tail recursing, right? So you yeah, could copy just elision operate... still works on parameters, sure. Uh, copy elision? I'm not sure if it works on parameters because you need to sure. construct into the return slot on the stack. Oh, you're you're trying to do both copy elision and RVO. Construct into the parameter, yeah. And I think you could actually do that because you're basically continuation passing and the compiler could yeah. detect that and do things, but probably not in the general case. 
not in the general case. Absolutely, you're going to need to inline it. Otherwise, the compiler can't see it. If it's inline, though, well, compiler, compiler can pretty do it, pretty much do what yeah. it wants then, because it understands yeah. all the side effects and knows there aren't any. Yeah, exactly. So that would be really cool. Um, and because they're not templates, right? You can type erase them, which means you can have type erase builder patterns. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. So what's next? Because that, I have to admit that what's next is more interesting to me than the by-value parameters. I don't get excited about the by-value parameters, but I thought the next thing was very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing I like to call friendship is magic. Um, <laughs> let's say you had, a, you know, this annotated method and you marked it friend, what would that do? Well, clearly, it would export it into the enclosing namespace to be able to be called as a free function, because obviously that's what, well, that's what friend does. Um, but it's also a method with an explicitly annotated this parameter. So why not be able to call it as a method? And effectively, that gives us opt-in uniform function call syntax for that one function, um, which you know solves most of the problems that people had with the previous uniform function call syntax papers, because this is totally opt-in. It doesn't break anyone's code, because there's no code like this out there. Uh, it allows you to selectively control your namespace. But on the other hand, it's really just a way to say this function can be called two ways. And it's a method. So you can't just arbitrarily add them. All your namespace control is perfect. It, you know, like it's, it's kind of like the first obvious extension of this. Now, of course, you could also go the other way, um, which I call the, oh, hi, I'm your method approach. Uh, <laughs> um, which is you have a free function, you annotate the first parameter with this, and magically it can be called with the method syntax. Um, and obviously it's not a friend, so it, it doesn't have access to any of the private state and so on. Uh, but all you've done is you've just adapted a thing that can now support the method syntax. And I mean, personally, I'm a little less excited about that one because it allows you to hijack template methods of a class and inject like things into the lookup table. And people that were you know, already trying to resort to methods as a way to solve argument-dependent lookup problems get their you know, cookie taken away from them. Uh, so I'm not too hopeful of this getting through the committee. Um, so, so in other words, yeah. the committee is probably m more likely to buy off onto uniform call syntax if what they're seeing is a member that is simply able to be called as a as if it was a free function, rather than to allow people to write free functions but then call them as members. I would expect so, because namespace control is already a pain point, and making it worse is not the way to go. Um, and also, you know, friendship is magic, but somebody <laughs> just coming into your house and saying, I'm yours, is only welcome in certain circumstances. <laughs> right, 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 right. So uh, you, we do have... With this proposal, we do have uniform call syntax, but it is strictly under the control of the uh, author of the type. And it's up to the author of the type to decide which functions can be called either way. Exactly. Uh, and let me reiterate, this is not the proposal that has a paper already. This is a separate paper. But right. yes, this is the proposal we're currently discussing. Right. That's get confusing when we talk about this proposal, when we're talking about the this proposal. <laughs> it, it's inherent. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
are there uh, other things in future papers that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, yeah. So there's also a thing that people predicted, which is what about annotating, you know, not the first parameter? Uh, and honestly, I really like that, uh, especially like, and honestly, only for things that can be called both ways, because annotating not the first parameter for a method that can only be called with method syntax just doesn't make sense. I don't understand um, it. All right. So, so okay. if, let's, okay, Ben, please. Sorry. I was going to lead off with a good example, uh, which is the, the find example. So in a, in, in a free function, in a free function syntax, you would naturally write find needle comma haystack, let's say, right? That would be a, a natural way. Of, but it's the haystack, which is the data structure, and it's the haystack that knows how to do the, the well-performing find. So, so the find operation is in some sense defined on the haystack, but you, you want to call it naturally in a free function sense by saying find needle comma haystack. Yes. That's all I had to say. No, that kind of makes sense. What I didn't understand is how you would call it as a member. That's And that's what Gasper was saying is it, it right. didn't seem to make sense. And I was just saying, no, I don't understand how, how it would make sense at all. That, that confused me totally if it's a member. Right. So if you define such a find method on a container, you would still call it haystack.find of needle, Right. Uh, right. And so it's only when you call it through the free function syntax that the fact that the second parameter is the annotated one comes into effect. When you call it as a method, you omit the annotated parameter. Regardless of where it falls in the Regardless list. of where it falls, yes. And so if you're not using uniform function call syntax, annotating anything but the first parameter just doesn't make sense because it's the same syntax to call it regardless. Okay. That okay. I I can understand that then. Yeah. Sorry. I guess my wording was not you know perfect. Your objection was uh, correct. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that's about it for the obvious extensions of this paper. So let's talk about as you presented it. Um, it uh, it it generated a lot of excitement in the room. And I'm looking forward to seeing people uh, see the, the video. You know, one of the things that we get uh, at CFLs now is sometimes criticisms about uh, about either the videos or even people who are experiencing it for the first time because there's so many interruptions going on. And, you know, let the speakers speak. And I think people don't appreciate that that's really what this conference is about. It's the discussion in the room. And so I kind of wonder how people are going to respond when they see this video where, I don't know what, it was 10 minutes into the talk where Gasper says, okay, that's the proposal, we can go now. And instead, <laughs> there's just all this discussion that happened for the next 80 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, um, so, I, yeah, there, there was a lot of discussion. Did you expect that? Were you ready for that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I felt like a puppeteer after it because that's exactly what I was going for. Um, I, I did tell the audience as much at the very beginning, right? I mean, it, it was a session that was specifically geared towards C++ now. And I personally made sure that all of the people that I thought I needed to generate the discussion <laughs> were in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was a, a fair bit of diplomacy uh, in the days preceding, and I was really happy that Ellis Dare decided to come because he wasn't about to, and uh, I I told him, well, I asked him very nicely uh, to come uh, the previous session, and he said, well, you know, I was going to go to uh, Michael's session, but if you really want me there. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> Um, and well, yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I, I knew that you, you'd approached me and I heard you approaching people. And so I was really worried that it was going to be standing room. And so, um, when Phil said, uh, I'm going to this talk, I said, Oh, well, I got to do this. I got to deal with something. So save me a seat because I assumed that was the only way I was going to get to sit down. And I got there and it wasn't completely full. And I was like, 
do people not realize that this is going to be the fun talk? <laughs> and apparently they didn't. Um, and the other thing I thought was, I thought, well, he can't, he can't win best session because he doesn't have enough people here uh, to, uh, to vote for it. There's not going to be enough people. But obviously everybody who was there voted with all their votes on this one session, right? <laughs> because, uh, because I guess you didn't win. Ben won best session, right? Yeah, Ben won best session. Well, and I was going to say that uh, Michael won. Uh, what was the most engaging most, with? Most, uh, well, Michael's talk was opposite Gasper's, and both of those talks uh, ended up being voted highly. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. remember which. Yeah, which or what it was that Michael. I, I think I got most engaging, and uh, Michael got most educational. Yes, yeah, I think it was the I other way so. around. I'm pretty oh, sure I just around. looked it up. There was most engaging and most inspiring was Gashburn. and I think most educational no. was Michael. No, no, Michael was most engaging, and oh. Gasper's was most inspiring and most educational. Yeah. Ah, okay. I was a little sleepy on that morning. <laughs> I guess I got my words messed up. All right. Um, well, anyway, yeah, it was supposed to be a really, really interactive session, and um, that's why I, in the beginning, I was like, I only have 46 slides. <laughs> uh, that's one a minute. That's really not, you know, um, and uh, then I spoke with Louis, and he one said, for- you know what you should do? You should do bonus slides. I'm <laughs> In in the end, uh, I I only skimmed very very quickly through the bonus slides. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Michael's in the chat room, and he said, uh, "Friendship is magic." So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and I was actually really sad that Michael and I conflicted because I really wanted to go to his session, but unfortunately, I really had to go to mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been a different yes. session if you hadn't been there. I was also. Uh, I went to go to Michael's talk, um, but I felt that I should, you know, as a co-author I, uh, and supporter of Gasper, I should I should go into his, go to his talk. But it was a tough choice. I guess we need to figure out who does the scheduling and blame them. Oh wait, oh no, let's not do that. That's <laughs> no, the one thing we don't want to do. Bryce, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bryce does the scheduling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I called out as a scheduling requirement for myself was that my talk was not scheduled opposite Gashford's. Yes, that's right. I remember that now. Yes. Um, Right. Well, before we go on, I really want to plug another paper of mine. uh, Please do. That I, I, I just wrote, it just got a paper number yesterday. Um, And... It's the shortest paper you've probably ever read, and it's called Using Enum. And you should be able to say, using Enum, my Enum, where my Enum is a class Enum, and import your identifiers into the local scope. And that's literally the paper. And um, Mike, Michael wants to know when you're going to implement this in Clang. Um, as, soon, as soon as I get the time. Uh, it is very, very difficult to get time. Um, uh, and also, I, th- I think I need a new computer to do that because <laughs> Clang is a lot of source code and recompiling it on my poor 2012 MacBook Pro is just not working. <laughs> um, because apparently to compile Clang, you need more than 8 gigs of RAM, and I just don't have it. Isn't that what AWS and Azure are for? Uh, yeah, I guess I I could, you know, make a dev box on AWS. <laughs> <sighs> so that's gonna be fun. Won't be long. You'll be able to compile it in Godbolt. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. There you go. All right. Um. Uh. So so explain to us what the what the point of this is now. Uh, you want to you want to be able to pull enums into the current scope by just saying using enum. Um, yeah, I want to I want to be able to say if I have a class enum, 
instead of writing my class foo, my class bar, my class baz in every one of the you know case statements of a switch, uh-huh. I mean I let let's let's do less abstract. Let's do colors, right? So we all know blue is a color. Unfortunately, we don't want blue polluting our normal namespace, so we make class enums and we want the nice type safety that they bring. Mm-hmm. But when you're switching on color, you don't want to be writing color, colon, colon, blue, color, colon, colon, red, color, colon, colon, yellow, all the time. So you just, you know, using enum color in your local scope and make a switch on the actual identifiers. Like, why not? Sure. Um, enums are just namespaces for values. Let's, you know, use them that way. Treat, treat them like namespaces. Okay. Right. Yeah, I have to admit, I often fall back to the older enums for exactly that reason. They did just clutter up the code a lot more. But I don't want the type safety of modern enums. Oh, oh. I misunderstood. Michael was saying he wasn't talking about the enum proposal, the implementation. He was talking about the this proposal having an implementation. That's what you meant. Yeah, I, and I was answering about the this proposal. Uh, I think using enum is actually far easier to implement than the this proposal, but the this proposal, as far as I was looking at it, isn't that difficult either. There's not too many places where you need to change the code because most of most of the bits are in uh, just making the parser stomach the keyword over there. And then it's a little bit about binding uh, in some other place and you know, maybe I'm missing a few places because I'm not a Clang expert. Well, you're, you're, at all. you're definitely trying to leverage all the existing rules. You're not trying to change any rules, right? So that is exactly that's what makes it shouldn't shouldn't be that. But it would be interesting to see. Because... I, I remembered I I wanted to ask the most important question. Um, if, if I'm reading it right, you can put the uh, the this keyword to the left or the right <laughs> of the type. So we're going to have. East this no, you can't. West this? You can't. Oh, okay. You you can't put it on on either side um, because it is not an identifier. You can't put it after the type. And we've we've bike shed that syntax, <laughs> uh, and it turned out that the British Standards Institute did not like it, and for a good reason. It's because when you wrote t this self. It looked like, and, and when you omitted the self, it looked like this was was the identifier that T referred to, and that would confuse yeah. the hell out of people because T, this would still be a pointer and not a reference in in those yeah. cases. Yeah. Uh, so it was decided that this can only be uh, before the type. And also, uh, when I was talking to Timur uh, Damler. Uh, who is in charge of implementing the lexers for Sea Lion uh, to plug our video sponsor? Not actually a sponsor. He said, "This is huh? not actually video a sponsor, sponsor for the conference." He was. The, the conference, they're they're yeah. the sponsor yeah. for the conference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he said that this is terrifically easy to implement uh, in their lexer. So that's really great for tooling as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just a final thing on um, West this. Uh, the reason I brought it up is because the uh, R0 of the paper has um, East this. R1 has West this. So, so that changed between the two revisions, did it? Yes, and that's right. because we showed it to the yeah. British Standards Institute in between. And, well, these be the results. Okay. There, there was an official poll and everything. All right, so um, we need to wind down. I try to keep these not too much longer than an hour, so we do need to wind down. I think we have uh, kind of one announcement, which is that we're now in the middle of conference season. So if you're having an itch to speak, there's a call for speakers open currently for Meeting C++. There's a call for speakers currently open for Pacific++. And for C++ on the C, I don't think the call is out yet but you're actually encouraging people to get on the mailing list so that you can contact them when the call goes out. Is that right, Phil? Uh, that's right. I'm actually going to aim to open the call for papers tomorrow. Um, if I don't get to that 
it's going to be a couple of weeks because I'm going to be traveling after that. So hopefully, hopefully that will go out tomorrow. Otherwise you can register on that link. Okay. Um, I need to actually send an email to all of the C++ now speakers and encourage them to do those kinds of things. Cause I need to encourage them to, to get their uh, slides in. There's an awful lot of slides that are up online, but I don't think all the slides are there yet. And there's a few other things that I want to encourage speakers to do. So that email still has to go out. But anyway, uh, I want to thank you guys for, uh, for joining and uh, telling us a little bit about this proposal. Uh, anything else that we need to cover before we say uh, goodbye? No, this was awesome. Thanks. Did you have something you wanted to promote, Ben? Uh, no, nothing else from me. Okay. Good chat. All right. Okay. Um, well, then I guess we'll wind it up and say to everyone, safe computing. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding, safe coding indeed. Right. Okay. Thank you guys very much. <laughs>